0: Hello, and welcome to a special bonus episode from New Scientist Podcasts. I'm Timothy Ravel. Instead of telling you about the week's top stories or a cool book or TV show, we're going to let reporter Alice Klein tell you a pretty amazing story about adventure, emergency medical procedures, and how a squad of flying doctors work to save lives in Australia's outback.
3: Enjoy!
1: a new scientist over the last seven years, I've had the opportunity to interview some really fascinating people from all around the world. But today is a first for me because I'm actually interviewing my husband, Ed. For the last year, Ed has been working as an emergency doctor for Australia's Royal Flying Doctor Service, or RFDS, which basically provides medical care by plane to people in Australia's outback. The RFDS is one of the largest aeromedical organisations in the world And Ed comes home with some pretty crazy stories that really outdo my stories of sitting in front of a computer all day. I'm Alice Klein, a reporter for New Scientist. And today on this special one-off podcast, I'm taking a look at the fascinating world of flown in medical care. Some of these stories are not for the faint-hearted, so strap yourselves in. Australia, it's fair to say, is massive and really spread out. When you're in the outback, You can sometimes be a 1,000 kilometres or more from the nearest major hospital. The people who live out here often face additional health risks to those in the city, including things like accidents with farm machinery and mining equipment or hairy encounters with livestock and wildlife. So it's vital that they can access urgent medical care despite their remoteness. This is where the RFDS comes in. Case in point, Ed recently told me about how he got called to Walgett which is an outback town about an eight-hour drive from Sydney. A 36-year-old man was on a motorbiking trip with his mates when he collided with an emu at 100 kilometres an hour.
2: Uh, Yeah, really unfortunate. It was only about 20 minutes into a trip that this gentleman was doing with friends of his came across an emu at pretty high speed. If anyone's ever driven through the Australian outback, they'd probably know that emus at the moment are quite abundant and they're not the sharpest tools in the shed, tend to run towards vehicles as opposed to running away. (laughs) Um, So this guy had collided with an emu and come off his motorbike and actually been separated from his motorbike, Were worried about a head injury. So his friend had called the ambulance initially and then they'd contacted us. And from there, we mobilised to get in the plane and meet the patient. And we actually met him at Walgett Airport.
1: Okay, so did an ambulance go and pick him up and then take him to the airport to meet you there?
2: Yeah, that's right. So I guess one of the limitations of fixed wing retrieval is that we can only get to airstrips. So oftentimes we'll work in conjunction with local ambulance crews where they either pick up the patient and bring them to us, or sometimes they will pick us up from an airport and bring us to a primary location. And that may be a roadside or a a rural area or a small, usually nurse-run hospital clinic.
1: And so what kind of state was this man in when, when you actually got there?
2: So when I reviewed him, I saw him in the back of the ambulance. He was quite confused and combative so quite agitated which is usually a sign especially with the mechanism of his injury that he's that he's got a head injury we're able to review his helmet his helmet had quite a lot of damage on it and a little bit of blood so it was was highly suspicious of having a, a closed head injury and probably a bleed on his brain
1: okay and then what happened next did you have to treat him sort of at the airport or what happened
2: yeah, so it's, it can be one of the logistics problems of managing these patients. We brought him out of the ambulance and then it was about trying to find an area that we could manage him safely. So we wheeled him across to essentially what is the passenger terminal, for want of a better word, at Walgut, which is a very small shack-like building. Initially, we thought we'd take him inside that terminal, but we couldn't get up the one step that was leading up into the the terminal. So we ended up doing it on the grass, just outside the terminal next to the runway.
1: And what sort of treatments did you need to give him?
2: So because this patient had what we suspect was a closed head injury and was very agitated, we had to sedate him and then actually take control of his airway. So it means giving a, like a general anaesthetic, popping a, a tube into his airway and putting him on a ventilator. Prior to doing that, we had to get some big Cannulas or lines into into big veins in his arms, and give him some resuscitation with blood that we carry on our planes. So we carry three units of O negative blood, which can be given to any patient without having to cross match it.
1: And then, did you load him onto your plane and take him to a major hospital or something?
2: Yeah. So once we once we did all that and stabilise him, we put him onto the plane. Then we ultimately flew to Sydney which was our nearest major trauma centre from where we were. Uh, We often take patients back to smaller regional hospitals, but in the context of a major trauma, especially when there's a possibility that he will require brain surgery or or neurosurgery, he has to go to a a bigger centre. So we came back to Sydney and then we are actually met at Sydney by another retrieval team, so the the Sydney ambulance retrieval team, who then took him on to the the Sydney hospital.
1: And so... I mean if the RFDS didn't exist what do you think would have happened to this
2: guy? I suspect if the RFDS wasn't able to retrieve him then he would have had a pretty bad outcome probably quite a significant brain injury or possibly would have died.
1: While it has been working for the RFDS and we've been living out in Dubbo which is where one of the main RFDS bases is in central New South Wales, I've met several people who have been helped by the service. One of them is Michelle Dowsett, a farmer and school teacher in Neville, New South Wales, whose entire scalp and hair was ripped off by a grain auger.
4: Yeah, well, that day we were just finishing off the last bit of sowing on our crop. We were actually at our other other property at um, Gwandiella and our uncle was... Sort of emptying the end of the silo out, and he said, "Oh, can you just give me a hand turning this auger on and off? I've got a flat bottom silo, and I and I need some help." And I said, "Yeah, no problems." So I just helped him for oh, I would have been about probably twenty minutes, half an hour, I suppose, until we got to the bottom of the silo. And then he said, "All right, turn it off now." I said, "Yep, no worries." Went to turn it off, and um, that's when the drive shaft grabbed hold of my ponytail and completely scalped me. <gasps> Gosh, so it just took off all your hair and the skin on your head? Basically, yeah. Like similar to taking a helmet off is what it was. Like the whole lot came clean off. Okay. sort of felt like a button popping. Gosh, and what happened then? Well, instantly I knew what I had done. I put my hands up on my head and basically felt my skull and went, (sighs) took a deep breath, looked up in the auger, saw where my hair and scalp was still caught. I let out one scream and then I sat down. And did your uncle call
1: the doctor or what
4: happened there? They rang the ambulance straight away and I could just tell by the look on his face of how bad it was. I knew how bad it was myself, but I just thought I can't panic here. I was also pregnant at the time, 13 Mm -hmm. weeks with my youngest child, Emma.
1: Oh my Um, goodness.
4: And I was on blood thinners due to a fair few complications during pregnancy previously. So I knew if I was panicking, I would be losing a lot of blood. So I sort of had to take it pretty steady.
3: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else custom spray five and one only from rust-oleum ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just
0: about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices
4: Well, we're out at Quandiala and I think the nearest hospital was about 60 k's away, which was West Wyalong. The ambulance did come and transported Mm -hmm. me straight to West Wyalong Hospital, a rural hospital, no doctors on, on call, no, you know, very limited nursing staff. Obviously, it was a major accident. They needed to get someone with more professional experience to help deal with this situation. It could have been a lot worse. So the flying doctors came to you in West Wyalong? Yes, they did. Basically, when they walked in everything changed, like they just took over, they calmed everybody down, they were clear with what was going to happen. They were just fantastic. They were just, yeah, I just can't, I can't praise them enough.
1: And so what did they do for you? Do they give you pain relief or?
4: Yeah, they, I had the pain, Well, they gave me some pain relief in the hospital, but obviously they didn't know the, you know, what they could give me because of my pregnancy and all that sort of stuff as well. So, and I really wasn't in a lot of pain at that particular time because, in the accident, all my nerve endings were destroyed, so I actually didn't have any feeling in my head or where my skull on, on my skull or anything like that. Really, the only thing that hurt was when, you know, I had nerve endings open on the back of my neck where my scalp had been pulled off and that and that skin had come down. So that was quite painful. The flying doctor said that I didn't need to have that neck brace on, which was actually causing me a fair bit of pain. Um, mm-hmm. They just sort of set me up with a drip. They obviously had to get some fluids into me because I was losing so much blood. And did you stay in West Wyalong or did you need to go to a major hospital? No, they flew me straight to um, St Vincent's Hospital in Sydney. Well, I did have my um, scout with me with my peas and my corn and all that sort of stuff in the esky, <laughs> so we took those with us. And I, Once I got into St Vincent's, the, like, the flying doctors stayed with me the whole time. They were so good. They did the handover to the doctors. They called in the best specialists they could who could you know deal with me and, and do what I had to do. When I was in St Vincent, I was a bit of a celebrity, I guess you could say, because it was a very rare, very, very rare incident. But the flying doctors, they just kept calm. They just, you know, explained what was happening. If I didn't have the flying doctors, the fact is I wouldn't be here and nor would my youngest child, Emma. She wouldn't have made it at all either.
1: Something I found interesting while Ed has been working for the RFDS is how many of his doctor colleagues here seem to have come from overseas the UK, the US, Canada, Belgium, Germany, all over. To find out how they ended up whizzing around on tiny planes around the Australian outback, I spoke to Kiri Oates, an emergency doctor who moved from Bristol in the UK five years ago to join the RFDS.
0: I have always been interested in retrieval medicine. It's pretty sexy, it's pretty adventurous, always been a big traveller. So that was a big draw. Saw the uh, advert in the back of the British Medical Journal. Had Had a few few wines and decided to send in my CV and um a mere year later I kind of found myself over here the plan was to just do a year in Oz and then probably a year in New Zealand and send back and then head back home but it turns out it's it's pretty seductive this whole uh, (laughs) Australian outback thing
1: (laughs) Um, and since you've been here can you tell me about you know one of the most interesting cases that you've seen
0: Everyone loves a quad bike. Everyone loves a motorbike out in Australia. So I've seen some some pretty hectic things. What ones have stayed with me over the five years? It's often the pediatric cases. They're super emotive. They're they're pre- they're pretty powerful, and uh, you you always know you're making a big difference to these isolated communities. But the, I was thinking of one whereby um, so was a ten year old boy who'd come off his motorcycle, which is pretty barn door for the outback, and um, bless him, he had a very nasty broken femur, which is uh, your thigh bone, wow. and he was he was very fortunate where he did it. Actually, it was in pr- quite an isolated area, but the RFDS had just supported a new airstrip which had been made out of the motorway so I say motorway the road Uh, and essentially that meant it had been reinforced and widened so it was quite extraordinary to fly in and then they'd stop traffic both uh, directions so we were landing on this on the road with road trains and lorries yeah yeah it was pretty mad like so coming in so normally I'm used to just dirt all around (laughs) and a small uh, tarmac strip but this was pretty pretty hectic and then getting to the kids so jumping in the back of a ute. Um, there's not always an ambulance in these situations. There's just um, a just load and go and fits things in where you can. So we do that, get to the kid. And oh, he was an absolute little trooper, bless him. Mum and dad are there, little brothers there. Um, and then lots of the community. And what's nice about those cases is um, whilst it's just me and my flight nurse as the clinical team, they're all super great. They're all really focused. So it's very easy to go, could you guys hold this blanket to provide some shade? you know, giving the kids some pain relief on site straight away and everyone just relaxing a little bit as we then do our job. So he needed a splint, he needed um, to secure his pelvis and those kind of things.
1: And did you have to fly him back somewhere? Mm,
0: Yes, we took him to Adelaide. From where he was, that's about a 700k um, distance. So if you think about it, that's like a 10 hour drive or a two hour flight. So So without the
1: RFTS, he would have had to drive for 10 hours with a broken thigh bone.
0: Uh, yeah and it would have taken him probably at least four or five hours for the ambulance to get out to him in mm-hmm. the first place yeah right. and he, you know and what can he have and until we get them with the good drugs he's just blessed him having ibuprofen and panadol for the yeah. so we flew him to adelaide he had his surgery and so forth and then the gps are following him with his recovery and uh, it, and he did super well and was probably back on the bike within six months but hey <laughs> uh, he wore his helmet and he knew he needed to take the corners a bit slower the next time
1: For me personally, a city girl born and raised in Sydney, it's been quite an eye-opening experience living in rural Australia and seeing just how differently the healthcare system has to function. I mean, for a lot of people out here, they can't just rush to the nearest hospital if they have an emergency like a heart attack or they go into labor early or something because it's a whole eight hour drive away. I think it can actually be hard to wrap your head around just how big the middle of Australia is. means some of the sheep and cattle farms here are bigger than the size of Israel and that's just the size of one farm. So for the people living in these remote areas knowing that urgent medical care can be flown in when needed is very reassuring and I've spoken to a few who've said that they wouldn't actually live in the outback without the RFDS. So it's been a fantastic experience getting a close-up view through Ed of this really amazing and essential service. For this podcast, I hope you enjoyed listening to these wild stories of the Australian outback. Thanks very much to Michelle and Kiri for sharing your stories, and thanks, of course, to Ed for letting me live vicariously through your adventures. For more New Scientist podcasts, please subscribe to our feed on your favourite podcast app. And if you could give us a review, we'd really appreciate it. See you later.
0: This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts.
1: Find
3: out more
0: at
2: ogpodcasts.co.uk.
3: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns